Hi, and welcome to the National Shooting Sports Foundation's podcast series, Gun Industry Speaks. As a trade association for the firearms and ammunition industry, we're often talked about in the news and on social media. Throughout this series, we will be speaking for ourselves. We will cover who we represent, what our goals are, and what we do to promote real solutions for safer communities. My name is Elizabeth McGuigan, and I'm the Director of Policy and Legislative Research for NSSF. I'm here with our President, Joe Bartosi, and with Larry Keene, our Senior Vice President for Government and Public Affairs, Assistant Secretary and General Counsel. If you're just joining us, we'd recommend going back and starting with our first episode, in which we covered who we are as a trade association for the firearms and ammunition industry. Today, we're going to cover efforts to sue the gun industry and the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. Before we get started, Larry, I wanted to thank you for joining Joe and I. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your role at NSSF? Well, as I think my title kind of indicates, uh, I'm the general counsel. I also uh, run the government affairs and public affairs mm -hmm. activities for the National Shooting Sports Foundation. So right. um, federal legislation, state legislation, and mm -hmm. such. Okay, great. And how long have you been with NSSF? Uh, just uh, short of 20 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So an, another long-standing executive here with us today. Now, we've heard a lot in the news about calls for lawsuits against the legal manufacturers and retailers of firearms. And we'll get into that recent debate shortly. But Larry and Joe, you've been in the industry long enough to have seen this playbook before. Larry, what's the history here? Well, it started um, back in the mid to late 1990s. Mm -hmm. And about every 10 to 20 years, there's a wave of lawsuits and new legal theories against the industry. But back in the late 1990s, we started seeing lawsuits uh, against basically the entire industry, right. all the handgun manufacturers, distributors. Uh, and uh, around 1998, we started seeing lawsuits filed by large mayors from large mm -hmm. cities against uh, basically the entire industry. Uh, and we saw several dozen of those okay. filed between late 1998 until uh, 2002. And what were they accusing the companies of? So the theories uh, varied, but by and large, they all alleged that uh, the lawful commerce and firearms was somehow a public nuisance okay. and that the industry was responsible for the cost that cities bore mm -hmm. for the criminal misuse of firearms. And so basically, they were uh, trying to blame the industry for the criminal misuse of firearms. Okay, okay. And Joe, you were with one of the major manufacturers while all of this was going on. What was your experience of these lawsuits and the threats of more lawsuits? Yeah, for us, this was not some academic exercise. This right. was not some law school exam or some regulation. Mm -hmm. this, this actually had real consequences for us. Uh, right. And it was frustrating because as a licensed manufacturer, as licensed by the ATF, right. as a manufacturer of firearms, we sold to a ATF licensed distributor mm -hmm. of firearms who then sold to an ATF-licensed retailer of firearms, who then sold to a background-checked, qualified consumer. Right. So we're right. three steps removed, at least, mm -hmm. from the consumer transaction as a manufacturer. Mm -hmm. And yet, uh, we would see these things manifest because at some point in time in the chain of custody over the years, the consumer loses the gun or sure. gets stolen or whatever, it ends up in the criminal hand. Mm -hmm. Criminal used the gun for uh, criminal purposes, and then we would end up getting involved in litigation. And this was not just some theory. It wasn't right. even municipalities suing us. It was plaintiffs suing mm -hmm. us. We had a couple of cases where people were behind bars, 
creating uh, for for doing criminal acts with firearms, right. and we would get dragged into litigation. Uh, so it was not just some exercise; it was actually a real cost and a real frustration for us uh, as members in the, of the industry. So they had clearly committed a crime, and yet somebody was coming after the manufacturer for right multiple for steps the removed, legal product. multiple steps, and right. many many years removed from our first sale of that product to our licensed distributor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly these lawsuits kept you both busy. Um, but the industry also responded outside of the courtroom as well. And I'm thinking here of the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, or PLCAA. Larry, it's, it's obvious from this discussion what motivated this law, but how did it come about? How did it uh, become drafted and enacted? So, as Joe mentioned, there was a lot of litigation, very costly. Right. Uh, some of the cases were being won on the law that there's mm -hmm. not a valid theory, but it was prohibitively expensive, and just one successful case against the industry could literally shut the industry down right. because they were seeking billions and billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And so the, it became clear that the part of the solution to this wave of litigation was legislation right. to try to stop the lawsuits in the first place rather than having to defend against these really frivolous claims. Yeah. And it started with state preemption statutes being passed uh, and then working um, on the drafting and then um, ultimately passing the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act that took many, many years to accomplish. Mm -hmm. <coughs> it, um, it became law in 2005, but it okay. was worked on for many years. And uh, I was very much involved in, the, in drafting the legislation, okay. uh, working with other groups and developing a coalition to support it. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately uh, many, many trips to Washington I'm to sure. educate um, both sides of the aisle, frankly, right, and, right. and it ultimately passed with broad bipartisan support and was mm -hmm. signed into law by President uh, Bush in 2005. And Larry, you mentioned a coalition supporting this legislation. Who was involved in that? A number of uh, business uh, trade groups mm -hmm. outside of our industry. Um, and that was one of the things that I did was to go around and sure. educate these groups and get them to support the legislation. And they did. Groups like the okay. National Association of Manufacturers, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, mm -hmm. insurance trade groups, and, and others. And the reason they supported the legislation is not because they had a dog in the fight. Right. They, they weren't, uh, their members weren't being sued. But they understood and recognized that the legal theories that were uh, being developed mm -hmm. uh, that were, you know, really novel to be kind, uh, would not just be applied to the firearms industry. Right, they right. would start to be used by plaintiff's lawyers against other industries. Mm -hmm. And they recognized the threat to our tort law system right. if this was allowed uh, to develop. And so that's why they supported uh, the legislation and why the bill ultimately mm -hmm. passed with such a broad bipartisan margin. I mean, that whole theory undermines the legislative process. Right. You know, right. legislators are not passing laws because their constituents don't want or, or for whatever reason, mm -hmm. if the courts can come in and undo that process, it's, it's a dangerous thing mm -hmm. for the entire republic. It is, absolutely. Okay. And what do we know from, you know, sort of the legislative history about um, how the law was drafted to allow lawsuits against companies for, for valid reasons, not for criminal misuse? Right, so what we hear a lot <coughs> from the other side is that somehow this bill is blanket immunity sure. for the gun industry. And it is an immunity bill, and, and it says that you can't bring a lawsuit, and lawsuits that are pending had to be dismissed. 
but it did have certain um, provisions, exceptions, where right. legitimate lawsuits would be allowed to go forward. For example, uh, if there was a breach of warranty, mm. if there was a product defect, right. uh, you could sue the uh, manufacturer or the seller of the firearm. There were several others, if, you if a dealer negligently mm -hmm. entrusted a, a firearm to somebody. So for example, someone comes into a store and they're intoxicated and the dealer gives them a gun, okay. you know, that's, you could be sued in that context. Those are legitimate, well-recognized legal right, theories. Right. Um, but what you couldn't do is try to blame manufacturers right. of a legal product lawfully sold that was then subsequently criminally mm -hmm. misused. And, and I would add one of the most litigated provisions of the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act is what has become known as the predicate exception. And so one of the exceptions says if the uh, manufacturer or the retailer knowingly violated mm -hmm. the law applicable to the sale and marketing of firearms, uh, then you could be sued. And so the okay. legislation gave some specific examples. But you're talking about like if you didn't do the background check, if you didn't have right, 4473 right. filled out. Um, you know, if you, you violated know, the if law. If you knowingly violated, if you, right. right, because again, the name of the statute is the protection of lawful commerce and arms. Right. So if you had some criminal who was misusing a license mm -hmm. to sell guns illegally, they, they could be They're sued. breaking the law. Sure. Right. So that's become a big issue. It's been litigated quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that issue in a number of high-profile cases right. uh, where the other side is trying to expand the scope of that exception to allow um, really the kind of law, exactly the kind of lawsuits like public nuisance lawsuits that the bill was designed right. to stop in the first place. Right. So that brings us to today. And um, you know, today we have candidates for president, we have members of Congress, and the usual gun control advocates calling for a repeal of this law. And their main argument is that it offers some sort of unprecedented special protection for our members that isn't provided for companies in other industries. Like you don't hear about, uh, uh, you don't hear about car companies being sued for drunk drivers. Uh, Joe, is that true? Are there other industries that have similar legal protections for their law-abiding business activities? Well, yeah, there are, and I always it always kind of smacks to hear that unprecedented right. term. It's right. it's certainly not unprecedented. Uh, the, okay. There are people like, for example, the small aircraft manufacturers mm -hmm. have an immunity statute that protects them. Okay. Uh, internet service and content providers are sure. typically not liable for what people post right. to their sites. Right. Uh, vaccine makers. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a there's a good public policy for not holding vaccine makers. Uh, liable in certain in certain cases in right. certain instances right. limited limited uh, immunity because there's a public good that comes out of this. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember when um, when this was was coming up, you know, placa was being talked about in members of yeah. Congress. I remember talking to you know Senator Lieberman, uh, who was our Connecticut senator back sure. in those days, and I said, look, you know, we we represent a company, we work for a company that manufactures farms for the military. Mm -hmm. um, if we are going to be sued out of business by municipalities or plaintiff's lawyers, right. where are we going to get our firearms for, for, for right. law enforcement and military use? Uh, it, was a, it was an interesting argument, I thought, because it, it, no one really thought about that. Sure. Uh, but it's a, it's a real issue, and if the entire industry goes, goes bankrupt mm -hmm. because of these lawsuits, how are we going to field an Army, a Navy, an Air Force, you know, a Marine right. Corps? Uh, the, the best firearms in the world come out of the factories in the United States. That's true. So that was a big deal. And again, these, these theories are not novel. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as Larry pointed out, we were winning those cases. Yeah. Uh, they were costly and time consuming, but 
the theories are, are as old as the country is itself. Yeah. So I just add to what Joe just mentioned that we hear all the time in the media uh, or from uh, anti-gun politicians mm -hmm. that the uh, no other industry has led, has this sort of legislation to right. protect it. Uh, and the answer to that uh, is because uh, no other industry has been attacked with these sorts of frivolous mm. lawsuits before. Right. If this is not really any special protection, it really just codifies uh, common law principles sure. that you are not responsible for the criminal misuse of um, lawfully sold non-defective product right. that gets misused by somebody else far removed from when you sold it mm -hmm. and over whom you have absolutely no control. How much of it do you think, how much of the costly and time-consuming aspect of it was deliberate? Do you think this was a deliberate bid to bankrupt the industry? Well, it was deliberate, and it, they, they, yeah. much, they just as much said so. People yeah, admitted it, that they were yeah. trying to bankrupt the industry. I completely agree. I mean, it was an attempt, there's a famous saying by the former Secretary of the Treasury under Clinton uh, about regulation through litigation. Mm -hmm. Their goal was to regulate the industry through forced settlements, be, thinking that the industry couldn't afford to fight these lawsuits. Right. And so that uh, the industry would capitulate and they would be able to get gun control legislation mm -hmm. passed in the form of consent decrees and litigation. And if we wouldn't, uh, if the industry wouldn't knuckle under and accept yeah. the terms, they would bankrupt the, the industry. And literally one of these lawsuits mm -hmm. uh, would have destroyed and bankrupted the industry. And to Joe's point about, mm -hmm. you know, the America being the arsenal for democracy. That's right. why the Bush administration issued a statement of administrative policy supporting the legislation okay. for precisely that reason, that right. it was an existential threat to national security if the industry went out of business. Absolutely. Um, and we are going to talk in a, in a later episode about specific presidential candidate proposals. Um, but Larry, what about our last president? What did the Obama administration do about the PLCAA? Well, interestingly, uh, whenever the you know, litigation involving the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, almost always the uh, plaintiffs, typically represented mm -hmm. by the Brady Center, challenge the constitutionality of the act, saying it's somehow unconstitutional. They have never prevailed in that argument right. that it was unconstitutional. But uh, when that happens, the law requires, when you challenge the constitutionality of a federal statute, that the Department of Justice has to be notified. Okay. Now, they do not have to intervene in the case and represent the government and, and argue for the, that the statute is constitutional. So they could stay on the sidelines. They could stay on the sidelines, but under the Obama administration, they did not. They came in and they defended okay. the constitutionality of, of the act repeatedly in several cases, and they continued to do, and that's mm -hmm. continued under the, the Trump administration, uh, and that was very pleasing to see because we weren't right. sure that was going to happen. And again, every court that has addressed this issue has ruled that it is absolutely proper and constitutional sure. under the Commerce Clause. Now the firearms industry exists today in part because the PLCAA protects the lawful manufacture and sale of products that provide for the exercise of a constitutionally protected fundamental right for Americans. Now Joe, what do you want listeners to take away on this issue? Well look, we just we, we want the facts to come out, the, the correct facts. Right. We, want, we want people to understand that this is not some type of unprecedented thing. We were facing unprecedented threats mm -hmm. in this industry, and the cost to the consumer, the cost to the ability to defend this nation, right, right. national defense, 
There are all sorts of costs hidden in this thing, yeah. uh, not the least of which is undermining the entire legislative process as we, right. as we talked about. Yeah. So listeners ought to pay attention to this because it's very, very important. If you can undo one industry, you can under, undo any industry through mm. this, this um, frankly, uh, wrong thinking process. Right. Well, that's all of our time for today. Thanks to Joe and Larry, and thank you for listening. And please join us next time for another deep dive into the issues facing our communities today and how the gun industry is working for real solutions for safer communities.